Uh, you can open up your copy of the Bible if you have one to the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to be, in a few minutes, we're going to start into Acts chapter 13, and we're going to go all the way through 14, which I'll explain why, and don't get too alarmed uh, to hold long chapters of Scripture. Uh, but I wanted to share a few things by way of announcement before we uh, turn to the Word itself. Uh, one is just a weekly thing I want to remind you of, uh, and just thank you for, is your generosity to our church and the common fund that we have uh, to do and to fulfill the mission that God's called us to, to reach the the nations with the gospel and the generations with the gospel that are here among us in our own community. Uh, So there's various ways that you can continue to contribute to that uh, online or in the offering boxes at the back. You can mail them in, things like that. But thank you seriously for your generosity and for taking what the Lord has entrusted you and then entrusting it to the common fund. I wanted to share one encouraging update for you about one of the many, many, many ways that those funds get used. Uh, Some of the funds that you all have donated through different capacities have gone to support the three brothers that we even had up here last Sunday, a week ago today, and prayed for them as they got ready to go to Papua New Guinea uh, to work with a few of our church planters that are in Papua New Guinea. Uh, The ones that we have sent is the family that's on the left half of the picture. There's Chris Jones and Evie Jones and their two kids. I love his face, by the way. Uh, Harley, uh, I think his name is over on the left. Um, But uh, that is great. But we prayed for those three brothers on the right last Sunday as they got ready to depart. They left Wednesday uh, to head to Papua New Guinea. It's a long, long trip uh, to get over the ocean and then to to get into Papua New Guinea specifically. And right now they're in WeWAC. It's a a part of Papua New Guinea uh, where there's a base for Ethnos 360, uh, which is the sending organization that we work with, uh, with the Joneses. But they have made it there and that is a glorious, beautiful beach that they're at. They sent us additional pictures. They're about to go on like an eight-hour canoe ride uh, to go into to the, the jungles and into the tribe where Chris and Evie are. And so I wanted to say thank you uh, for those that have been praying for them. Uh, thus far, the Lord has answered our prayers of safe passage for them. And we want to continue to pray for them. I would encourage you as individuals or families or friends, life groups, things like that, to pray uh, for them and the encouragement that they've already been to them, but that we hope they can be to that team. Uh, and then to the, the men and women in the tribe there. And so I'll try to give an update even next Sunday as well of what has uh, transpired over the next seven days because they're going to be there for a few weeks. But uh, good news thus far. And so I wanted to share that uh, picture with you all and, and say thank you. One other thing before we turn here, uh, two Sundays from now, we're going to start in the book of Hebrews. We typically as a church just walk through books of the Bible. Uh, so two Sundays from now, we're going to start through the book of Hebrews. Start at 1-1 and go for several months uh, through that whole book of the Bible. Some of you like to get, we have these little scripture journals. Uh, whenever we go through a book of the Bible, it has on one side of it the text of the Bible and on the other has like blank pages if you want to take notes. We have some of those out at our bookstore if you want to grab one of those today or next Sunday. I think they're like six bucks uh, if if you want to grab one of those. But I'm excited to start that two weeks from today. But before that even, uh, school starts. I know for a lot of kids in the room, school starts even tomorrow. Uh, Some of you already started school uh, a few days ago. And I was remembering, as my kids go back to school, I was remembering when I was in school. And I don't know about where you grew up or what your teachers were like, but for whatever reason, something that looms large in my mind with a lot of the teachers that I had growing up was this common refrain of, make sure you read the directions. 
That was a thing that they would say a lot. Like when they would give us a test, especially, or an assignment, they would say, make sure you read the directions. And I never had any of those teachers that snuck in like a secret, like just sign your name and turn it in or anything like that to really see if you read the directions or not. But that was a common refrain with my teachers was before you just jump into the test, before you just jump into the assignment, before you just dive in, actually read what I've asked you to do. Like read the directions. And we could be, without reading the directions, we could be well-intentioned, we could be eager, we could be zealous to do the thing that we think they've asked us to do, and we could launch out into something that they really didn't ask us to do, or in a different way than they asked us to do it. So we need to follow the directions. So kids, tuck that away uh, with your classes. If there's directions at the top, if you're old enough, you know how to read, read the directions at the top uh, before you take the test or do the assignment. Uh, But if that's true in grade school, middle school, high school, college, uh, if that's true in those settings, it's even more true when it comes to matters of eternal significance and to spiritual matters, that if God has given us something to do, if God's entrusted us with a task, if he's told us to go do something, it would be wise for us if God has said, these are my instructions, like these are the directions of how to do it, we should read those, right? Like we should try to see how has he told us to do this, not just have a good intent in our own heart and mind, but have the Lord's directions in our minds and hearts guiding the very work that we're seeking to do. And so this morning what we're going to do, we're actually ending a series of five sermons that we've done, which if you haven't been with us, it is okay, but we've been doing five sermons on what we call church planting, uh, which is just a figurative way to talk about the work of starting churches in new places, whether it's in a new county nearby, like we're hoping to do in North Manchester uh, in the next few years, or whether it's among the nations, uh, like in Papua New Guinea, or various places we've sent brothers and sisters to. We want to be about the work of starting churches, of planting churches. And we spent four weeks in a row in just a handful of verses in the Bible, in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we took several weeks and walked through Matthew 9, 35 to 38, where we talked about what the motive for church planting should be, that we have compassion upon the lost. Right? We talked about uh, the message that we're to take with us. Adam Pennard, who you heard read and who we're going to pray for in a little bit, uh, preached a, me- a sermon about the message of church planting, that like seed that we sow to plant churches is the good news of Jesus. That's what we go with. That's what we uh, throw out into the fields where we go. Uh, we did a message about the laborers in the harvest. That was a phrase Jesus used uh, about the importance of actual flesh and blood people like me and you. God doesn't just magically uh, take the good news to people. It comes through people like us. So we looked at the laborers in the harvest, and then last Sunday we looked at the phrase again that Jesus used, the Lord of the harvest, that there is a God who oversees all of this, who has people he wants to save, uh, that he intends to save, and he's the one who gives life to people. He's the one when we sow the seed that actually makes it grow, that actually sees people come to faith. And so this morning we're going to finish, and and we took a month to go through four verses of the Bible. We're going to try to do two whole chapters in one day today, so you're not going to be here for like two hours, anything like that. Don't be alarmed. Uh, But uh, we're going to look from Acts, the start of Acts chapter 13 to the end of Acts chapter 14. 
And what we're going to be looking at here is what I would call the method of church planting, at least at a high level, like how do you actually do it? Like who are the players involved? Like what are we actually trying to do? What are we actually trying to accomplish? And we see this in the early church, that there's an example at least given to us of how this very early church in this city called Antioch actually sends people out from their church to go start churches in other places. And I want to use a phrase this morning uh, to to summarize these two chapters and what what I think the Lord would communicate to us through them uh, that I actually used several weeks ago and I want to bring it back around. It's a very simple sentence. It's going to be this, is that healthy churches plant churches. Healthy churches plant churches. In a a minute, we'll walk back through that uh, phrase word by word. But I want to give you a quick overview of Acts 13 through 14 because I'm not going to have time to read the whole text. Uh, But I have a map even uh, that I think will be up here if you can see those and you can follow all those arrows. I don't have time to explain all of this. But if you were to read through the entirety of Acts 13 and 14, which we'll read some little chunks of it. uh, But what you'll see uh, on the right, there's a church at the city of Antioch. There's another Antioch up in the top top left. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, the church that sends people out to start other churches is from that church on the right uh, in Antioch. And what happens in the book of Acts, like where we're about to start looking at, at the beginning of Acts, the church gets, I've heard some people say the church gets established, like the Holy Spirit comes and people start believing in Jesus there in Jerusalem. And then the church Though it was established, it gets scattered. Like there's some persecution that comes and some of those early Christians start to go into other cities like Antioch. They come there from Jerusalem and there's now believers there in Antioch and more and more people are coming to faith. So the church is scattered. But now when we get to chapter 13 from this very church of Antioch, it's like a new stage that some have called the church expanded or extended. Like that now this church sends out people to go start new churches. Uh, Not just because they're being persecuted, but they actually want to. They know that's what the Lord has called them to do as a church. And so what happens in Acts 13 and 14 is Paul, the apostle, and Barnabas and a few other people it seems start and they go down you'll see some of these uh, places even in what we'll read they sail down to the island of Cyprus and they hit a few cities there Salamis and Paphos and then they they go up to uh, and that's the Mediterranean Sea the upper northeast portion of it they go up to Italia uh, and there one of their associates John Mark actually leaves them but they press on in the work and they go up to the city of Antioch up at the top And they go over then to Iconium and to Lystra and Derbe. And then there's a pivot point and they go back through. It's like Derbe is like the end point. And then it's like they come back on a circuit through the towns and end up back in Antioch. And all along the way, they're telling the good news of Jesus. Churches are starting. And But I want to show you some things about how they did that, of what the method of it was that I think will be important guidance for us as we continue to think about planting churches, whether it's in the next county over or if it's in a faraway land. And so... Uh, Hopefully that's helpful to at least get a visual picture of some of what we're going to read about here. But I want to start with that that phrase, healthy churches plant churches. And I want to show you in the first four verses of Acts chapter 13, I want to focus on that phrase, healthy churches plant churches. So if if you're in Acts 13, read along with me in, in your mind. Acts 13 verses 1 through 4. And then we'll put a pen in it there for a few minutes. So this section of Acts, maybe we could call church extended, begins this way. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, 
Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, that's also Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for being Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. We'll pause there. You can maybe even picture some of those places on the map that I, I showed you. Uh, but I, I want to make a couple observations, even from these first four verses of this story and of, of this church planting endeavor. I want to show you a few things. First, this church at Antioch, is a, it's an understatement to call it a healthy church, right? I mean, just look at some of the people that they have there as leaders. It, it talks about how there's prophets and teachers in this church. But then on top of that, they have Barnabas, who appears tons of acts, a very uh, significant, important person in, in the, the arc of church history even early on. They have these other men, Simeon, Lucius, Manaean. It's kind of a diverse group uh, of men who are there. And then, and Saul, the end of verse 1. So that's the apostle Paul is at this church. He's been there for a while, worshiping with them, teaching with them. He's become, at least for that season, part of that church. And by God's grace, this is a healthy church at Antioch. Uh, and the Spirit then speaks to them. Did you note that? It says in verse 2, while they were worshiping, we don't know who the they is. Uh, it could just be that list of people, some of those leaders, like while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, or it could be the whole church that as they're worshiping and fasting together. But it says that the Holy Spirit speaks. Verse 2, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So the Spirit is not just speaking. As this effort uh, toward church planting starts, he's not just speaking to the church planters, right? Like he is speaking to the broader group. He's speaking at least to the leaders of that church, if not the whole church, right? It's not just that privately, discreetly, he's telling Paul and Barnabas and their teammates, hey, go do this, go to this. He does do that sometimes. I'll, I'll admit that later on in Acts, sometimes the Spirit speaks more directly. But here, the Spirit speaks at least to the leaders of the church, if not the whole church, about what he wants to see done, about uh, this work that he wants these people to be sent out to do. And then they send them off. That's what happens at the end of verse 3. They don't just leave on their own, right? They don't just think, hey, like we've, we've been told by the Spirit, to go do this, they are sent off by this church. They, they, they're commissioned to go do this task of church planting. And I point out a few of those things under this first emphasis of healthy churches plant churches to note that church planters, whether they're going to North Manchester or whether they're going to South Sudan or whether they're going to wherever we send people, when church planters go, they should go with the commendation of a local church and they should go under the authority of a local church. They're, they're not just to go out on their own. They're not just to, to be lone rangers or even a team of lone rangers who are going out to do their work. The task of church planting is not just a me and God 
thing or us and God thing. It's the church and God. Uh, that, that God speaks to a church body to send out people towards certain works. Uh, there is no contradiction here with the, you may have picked up on this, between the end of verse 3 and the start of verse 4, right? The end of verse 3 says that they sent them off. The church sent them, right? But then the start of verse 4, the immediate next thing is, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. So the church sends them and the Spirit sends them. Those are not contradictory. That is how the Spirit works, is that he sends people by the sending of a church. Uh, That is the normal pattern. That is the way that church planting happens. And note even who's part of these people who are sent. It is an apostle is sent by this church, right? Like, he is the one who established churches in other places, but here he's following the Spirit's leadership of that collective church. Uh, so even, if even an apostle is a sent one by fellow human beings in the church he's part of, then every church planter should be a sent one, right? And the second thing that I would say, because many of us are not, most of us are not going to be church planters, uh, but we are hopefully church Members, We're part of a local church. And one thing I would not want to rush by here is that if you're a member of this church, you have a responsibility with me to care for the people we've sent out. Uh, When we send them out, we send them out. Like we don't just send them out and cut ties. Like we send them out and then we pray for them. We support them. We seek to be an encouragement to them. We, We aid on the front end of the process as a church of evaluating the people who may go, of training the people who may go. But then when we send them, Our task is not done. They are an extension of us. They are a part of us. They are members of our church doing work in different parts of the globe. And so it's vital that we as church members know that churches plant churches. Not just Christians plant churches. Not just church planters plant churches, but churches plant churches. We have a collective responsibility for this. I did not tell her I was going to do this, but I wanted to publicly commend a life group member in our group, Stephanie Lozano. She would have never let me do this if I told her. She does a wonderful job as a member of our life group and of our church of being an encouragement to a family that we have sent out to the country of Laos. She is dedicated to that. She's diligent in of sending them things and thinking through how could we be of encouragement to them. And she takes seriously this task of churches plant churches. Churches send out church planters. We don't just send them out and then leave them. And, and by God's grace, I want there to be more of us who are doing that type of work, who are seeking to pray for the people we've sent, being generous with the funds that God's given us to be able to extend their mission where they are being people who send them things send them messages may we by God's grace become a church who plants churches not just a raising up uh, agent of church planters but a church that plants churches and so that's the first thing that we see from this story and we're going to have to fly over a majority of these two chapters but I wanted to start by focusing on that that healthy churches plant churches it's a collective responsibility that we have not just Christians doing it but churches doing it some of their members going to do that the the second part of that phrase and we're going to just fly over most of chapter 13 and 14 that I want to focus on is that middle word healthy churches plant churches. And I want to show you briefly at least how 
Paul, how Barnabas, how this team of people, what they actually do, like how they actually put the rubber to the road, how they try to actually bring these church plants to fruition. So uh, there's going to be a lot of texts that are going to show up on this slide more than normal because we don't have time to read the entirety of it. So you can either, as I mentioned them, look for them in your copy of the scripture. You may be able to just see them up here. But the, the first thing I want to show as they actually work to plant churches in all these different towns, is that they work as a team. Uh, when they go out, they work as a team. A few Sundays ago, we did a message called Laborers in the Harvest, right? Like that there's plural. There's people who work together in the task of church planting. If you look at verse 5, the very next verse after what we read a few moments ago, if you look at the end of verse 5, you see that Paul and Barnabas, it says they had John to assist them. Okay, so it wasn't just these two really prominent guys who were going out as church planters, but they at least had John, or he's other places called John Mark, uh, there to assist them. There was more than just uh, these rock star type of celebrity Christian type of people, the really public people. There was others who were assisting them. Right? And I mentioned when I was showing you the map that later on John Mark actually leaves them before they go back up into the mainland. He leaves them. But if you look down at verse 13, it says that Paul and his companions set sail for Jerusalem and came to Perga and Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So there's where we see that he left. Uh, but they have companions still, right? It says Paul and his companions set sail. So there, there's plural, there's people with him. We don't know exactly who, we don't know exactly how many, but there's a team of people that are with him as he goes about this work of church planting, as they go about this work of church planting. So as we think, just very practically, as we think about sending people to North Manchester to start a church, to seek to do that glorious work of seeing a church started, we want to send a team of people. We, we're going to pray for Adam and Claire Pennard in just a little while. We don't want to just send them to go do that uh, on an island. Like we want to send a crew of people, a, a team of gifted people to go with them. That is God's normal pattern is not just to send a singular person into a place, but to send a team of people who are actually working together, not just uh, in close proximity, but they're actually working together as a team toward this task of seeing churches established. So that's an important concept you see throughout these two chapters as they work as a team. But secondly, uh, and this is where you'll start to see some of the text come up here, is as they go to all these different cities, they sow the seed of the gospel. Uh, we've talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, that when we do church planting, the message we bring is the good news of Jesus. And so I wanted to, to highlight a few examples in Acts 13 and 14 as they go to these places of how it says that they sowed the seed of the gospel. So they go town to town, and what they do typically when they go to those towns is they go to a synagogue, like a Jewish place of worship, and they start preaching about Jesus. And it comes through different ways, but they start telling the good news of Jesus. Most of chapter 13, if you look from verses 16 down through verse 41, as a transcript of a sermon that Paul gave in one of those synagogues uh, when he was requested to. And I don't have time to read the entirety of it. It's a glorious message that he gave. But the core of it is in verses 38 and 39, uh, where the apostle Paul said this to that gathering there. He said, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, 
And he's speaking of Christ. He says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That is a glorious statement. Uh, that that he, he says, I've been telling you about this Jesus, who's the Messiah, and how he was crucified, how he was raised from the dead. And he says, through him, the man I just told you about, that's how forgiveness of sin comes to you. It's not through Moses. It's not through law keeping. It's through Jesus. So he preaches there. Then when he goes to Iconium, if you jump into chapter 14, uh, when they're in, at this next stop in the journey, Acts chapter 14, verse 3, it says just kind of almost in passing, it says that they were speaking boldly for the Lord. So as they're going into Iconium, the, the prominent thing that they're doing is speaking boldly for the Lord. As they, they have to eventually flee that city of Iconium because opposition keeps coming against them wherever they go. Then if you look at verses, uh, the next couple verses, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 14, it says they go into the surrounding country and continued to preach the gospel. So they never give up on that. What they're doing everywhere they go is they keep preaching. They keep telling the good news of Jesus again and again and again. Paul gets stoned at this city called Lystra that they're at. And in 1421, they have to go on to this next town called Derby. And instead of giving up the task of preaching the gospel, when they go to this next town after he just got an attempted murder, and when they go to this next town of Derby, it says in 1421 that Paul preached the gospel. Like everywhere he goes, even when death threats come, even when actually they seek to take his life, they go to the next place and preach the gospel. They keep saying the good news of Jesus again and again and again, of Christ crucified, put in the grave, resurrected. And I just, I, I don't want to pass over this without briefly proclaiming that to you today. Uh, that if you do not have the forgiveness of sin, the knowledge of the forgiveness of sin, if you have not been given the gift of eternal life, I want you to know as a fellow sinner with me that the only way you can be freed from your guilt to take the words of Paul. The only way you can be freed from your guilt and from the hell that you deserve and that the only way I can be freed and forgiven is not through your work, it's through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Uh, he was put to death in our place. Our sins were counted to him and he was crushed for our sins so that we might be forgiven. That prayer we read earlier, find that online. I'll share it online there. That was glorious to read about all the judgment that came upon Christ so blessing could come upon us. And I want to just like Paul did in all these synagogues, I want to very briefly but pointedly call upon each of you in this room to turn to Christ, turn from your sins, turn in faith to Christ, the one who has killed for you, the one who has been raised from the dead for you, the one who can grant you forgiveness of sin. And if you do, God will provide it. Uh, he will make you his son or daughter this very day. That's the message Paul and his team are doing again and again and speaking again and again in these towns. I want to note, if you read through chapter 13 and 14, a prominent thing that they do also as they go into these towns is that they heal people. Uh, they do perform healings and signs and wonders. I want to note a few examples of that, but I want you to see a few things about even how they did that because I'm not expecting, I'm not anti, but I'm not expecting that to be a prominent part of what happens in the church plants that we seek to do, uh, whether it's in North Manchester or around the world. But I do want to note a few things from these texts and from these towns. If you look at chapter 14, verse 3, when they're at Iconium, this is a beautiful statement about the healings that, that Luke, the author of this narrative, says. 
He says in chapter 14, verse 3, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. We referenced that. Speaking boldly for the Lord. Then hear this. Who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And I love that because it's saying Jesus, the Lord, is the one who's giving these healings. Even as Paul and these others are, are healing, Jesus is really the one who's healing. And the reason he does it is to be a witness to the word of his grace. It's not just to impress people. It's not to wow and awe people. It's to point them back to the message of grace, the, the forgiveness of sin that can be had. Uh, and so Jesus grants signs and wonders to them as they're preaching to point people back to him. The other place you see this in an even more pointed way is at the city called Lystra, uh, where a man is healed. And what happens there in the town, it's a fascinating story. When people see that and hear about Paul healing this guy, they come, the, the people in the town come and want to worship Paul. They want to worship him and Barnabas, and they're calling Barnabas like Zeus and all these things. Like uh, they're, they're calling, or her, like forget exactly which name they use. The, the priest of Zeus, he comes out, they call uh, Barnabas, they call Zeus, Paul, they call Hermes. They're like coming to worship these men who are bringing the message of Jesus and healing. But listen to this, what Paul says to them in Acts chapter 14, verse 15. He says, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. And hear this, and we bring you good news that you should turn from all these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Paul wants them to not just be impressed with the healings, to not just be like caught up and like, whoa, like we would probably all be if somebody just started doing that at the town square in our town. Like we would be impressed by that, wowed by that. Paul says the point we're, of why we're doing that, why Jesus is allowing us to do this, is so you would turn to him in faith. So you would come to him in repentance and faith. It's not just to be impressed, it's to become repentant, to be become a faith-filled person. And so as they go with healings, the primary thing they're coming with is not healings, but it's the message of good news. It's the, the salvation that can come through Christ. I would say it this way. When we send out church planners, whether it's to another country or to another county, they are first and foremost to be heralds of good news, not just helpers of sick people right? They can, and we want them to be the helpers of those who are sick. But the first and foremost responsibility of any church planter is to be a herald of the good news. Uh, they are to speak the good news. So we've seen uh, those two things of how they actually go about planting, right? That they work as a team. They sow the seed of the gospel. The last thing I want you to see in the, about how they actually plant is that God gives life. Like as they actually go out as a team and do the hard work of sowing the seed of the good news, God actually brings life to people. He actually raises up people from spiritual death. Uh, we talked last week about how God is the Lord of the harvest. He doesn't just send us out and let us do our thing and figure it out. He's the one who oversees all of it. If there's ever going to be people saved, if there's ever going to be churches started, it's going to be because God does the work ultimately. He brings dead people to life. I love this phrase. Uh, in chapter 13, verse 48, uh, when they stop in this town, that other Antioch that you saw up at the top left of the screen, when they stop at that city, uh, it's called Antioch of Pisidia, there's a beautiful phrase there that reminds me that God is the Lord of the harvest. It says this, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That is a 
profound phrase, that God, prior to them ever coming, had appointed men and women and maybe children even in that town to receive eternal life. He had appointed them to eternal life. And now God has made sure, as these people come with the good news of Jesus, he makes sure that the gospel comes into their ears and that it sinks into their heart and he makes them believe. Like he changes their hardened heart into a soft heart that, that believes. God is the Lord of the harvest. And when these people go out doing the work, God is the one who actually makes them believe. God is the one who actually sees them come to life. And this happened everywhere that they went. It wasn't just in that Antioch of Pisidia. It happened in Iconium. If you look at chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So there's a great number of people as they're speaking. The harvest is plentiful, right? And God gives a great number of converts there in Iconium. And then in the last city, kind of the terminal spot before they turn around, the city of Derby in 1421. If you look there, it says that when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, and then it continues on, but they made many disciples in that town. Uh, There's people who are becoming followers of Jesus. God is giving life everywhere that they go as they spread the good news of Jesus. And so they, healthy churches plant churches. They do it, and we want to do it how we've been looking at the last few weeks, that we send teams of people to go with the good news of Jesus and plant those seeds, and then God gives life. He starts to bring people to repentance. He starts to bring people to faith. But for this last section of the sermon, I want to point out one singular word. Out of this whole two chapters, I want to point out one word, and it's near the very end of our text today. It's the word church. Because I want us to see this. I want us to believe this. I want us to live this out, that healthy churches plant churches like that we don't just try to make converts like we don't just try to bring individual people to Christ although that is important and a necessity but we try to establish churches I want to show you where I see this Uh, just a second I'll read this text but opposition came everywhere they went without exception every town they go to every region they go to opposition comes and they have to leave each place temporarily right? Disciples had started to spring up in each of these towns, but they had to leave. They had to, to, earlier than they wanted to, they had to leave to go to the next town. But everywhere they go, there's all these disciples in their wake who are behind them, but they leave temporarily, and then they come back. And there's an important note here near the end of chapter 14 of how they interacted with those disciples as they come back through, right? So I I wanted to read this for you, and that is a side note, It is a remarkable thing that when they got to Derby, that terminal point, they didn't just hightail it back to Antioch, right? Like they circuited back through all these towns where there had been attempted murders and opposition and lies told about them. They circled back through them and you're about to hear why, okay? So look with me at verses 21 through 23 of chapter 14. So chapter 14 started at 21 And I'll read through 23. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had, hear this, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, 
With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay, so they returned back through all these places where they'd been opposed, where they'd been threatened and harassed and run out of town. They go back to these places first to encourage them to continue in the faith, Luke says. Uh, They would have needed to hear that, right? Because the people who just told them about Jesus had just got run out of town. So it'd be very tempting to think, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not going down that, that road. But they're saying, no, like this is what the Lord has for us as his people. Is sometimes, many times, to suffer, press on in faith. Don't fear the ones who can kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the soul. They're telling them things like that, to, to follow after Christ. But note for them, the word I put in bold near the bottom, that as they go into each of these places, they appoint for them elders in every church, right? There's disciples. You see that, both of those references at the top, and it's many other places through 13 and 14. But when he comes back through, his end goal is not just to see disciples made, like individually, but it's to see them assembled together in a congregation, to see them assembled together in a church, right? And this is important for us. We could easily miss that, that he assembles them together in a church under the oversight of elders. But it is important for us to know that disciples of Jesus are never intended to just operate individually, They're never intended to just live as individual followers of Jesus who just do our own thing. They have always been and will always be meant to live together, right? We don't just live out our faith as individuals. We live our faith out as a collective people. When Christ died upon the cross, it wasn't just for a collection of individual people. It was for a collective people. Right? Like he was reconciling us to God first and foremost, but he was also reconciling us to each other. He was buying for us, so to speak, each other. Like not just that we're made right with God, but we can be made right with each other, that we can worship together and help each other and pray for each other and confess to each other and challenge each other. That we need other believers. We don't just need Christ alone. We need Christ's people to point us to him, to help us press on in the faith, right? We need a church, not just a bunch of random Christians in a community, right? So when we go to share the gospel, whether it's in Winona Lake or North Manchester or in WeWAC or wherever we go and we share the good news of Jesus and if people are brought to faith, we're not just bringing them into some like huge capital C church body like the universal church. What we should be seeking to do is to also bring them into a lowercase c church, like an actual assembly of like flesh and blood people, like what we're doing right now, of actual people who love Christ together, like who are under the authority of leaders that God has installed, who are under the authority even more than that of his word that he's given us. We are to be part of a church. And so that is important for us as we think about church planting is that we're doing church planting, right? Like we're not just doing evangelism. We're we're trying to see a church established uh, and to see a church brought up. So when we go into North Manchester over the next few years, by God's grace, if he continues to allow us to go down that path and calls us to that, we are not just trying to start a Bible study. We are not just trying to start a small group. We're not just trying to start a prayer circle. 
or something like that. We are trying to start a church, like an actual church that worships together, that is under the preaching of the word, that is in community together, that's under the oversight of godly leaders. That is what we are seeking to establish is an actual church. And that's true in North Manchester. That is true in South Sudan. That's true in Laos. That's true everywhere we send people. We want to see a church established or churches established, right? As it gets closer regionally to us, sometimes it's tempting for churches to start like satellites or campuses. I want to make sure we're clear right now, and I know Adam would be in agreement with this. We're not trying to start a satellite church of CCC. We're not trying to start another campus of CCC. We're actually trying to start like they did, a church in every place. Right? Like not one church that has this hub that, that extends out other places, but a church in that location. And so that is our goal is to see a church established there. And by God's grace, he'll continue to enable us to actually plant churches in the surrounding counties around us and in the countries all over the world where the gospel has yet to go. But we are not trying to just make converts. We are trying to establish churches. And that is an important distinction that we must keep in mind. I want to end where this text ends, uh, and then I'm going to bring Adam and Claire up, and I want to explain what they're going to be doing the next school year as we continue down this path, and I want to pray for them. But I want you to see how this chapter ends. As this church starts to expand, extend to all these other churches, I appreciate how this chapter ends. If you go to verse, uh, let's start in 26, uh, and I'll read till the end of the chapter. So chapter 14, verse 26, to the end of the chapter, we'll kind of pick up mid-sentence says, from there they sailed to Antioch. That's the original Antioch. They sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, this is beautiful. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door. Note that he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples. That is beautiful. Uh, that these people who were commissioned, who had spent who knows how many months and years out on this circuit, going, being nearly killed, being threatened, uh, being discouraged, no doubt, as they went, but they had seen this work through, the work they had been commended to, they completed, they fulfilled it, right? And now they come back and they share that good news with the church at Antioch, right? It's not just that they get together their supporters, or they get together this limited subset of people, they get the church together at Antioch and say, listen to what happened. Because they wouldn't have had messages to get to tell them really easily. They couldn't send like WhatsApp messages like I got a picture from Papua New Guinea. They, they would have rejoiced this church in hearing the good news of how God had opened a door of faith and how he had seen these churches established in all these different towns. What a joy it is to hear of reports from faraway places, right? Like we get a little taste of that even here. And what a joy it will be, Lord willing, when we get to hear not just of stories from other countries and converts. Side note, I will never, ever, ever forget, and some of you were here on that day during uh, COVID when we had to worship outside, 
when I got to share the good news with you all that there were actual people who were professing faith in that tribe in Papua New Guinea. Uh, people, we were, some people were in cars and stuff and like started honking their horns and cheering. Uh, we got a little taste of things like this about how God can see life and churches established in other countries. But by God's grace, what my hope is that we get to celebrate and hear good news of life starting in churches, starting even in nearby counties. Uh, the counties south and east and north and west of us that we can have the men and women who we've sent out to go be part of them join us on some Sundays to say, hear what God is doing in our little town. Hear what God's doing in the next county over. And by God's grace, we'll get to hear story upon story upon story uh, from around the world and from here more regionally. I want to invite Adam and Claire uh, Penner to come up here. I'm going to uh, have us, and I forgot the microphone. Could you grab the blue microphone on your way up here, Adam? Uh, I wanted to let you know briefly who they are uh, and what they are going to be doing. If you don't know, Adam and Claire are the ones who we are hoping in God's providence to be the ones uh, who help lead the team of people that will be part of the church plant uh, in North Manchester. I'll turn that on for you. Um, that uh, our hope is to have them be the leaders of that. And we've already started to see a team uh, prayerfully be assembled to be hopefully be part of that uh, work in the years ahead. But for this school year that's about to start, they're going on an endeavor some of you know about, um, but they're gonna be moving actually tomorrow, if, I, if my memory serves me right, to the city of Louisville, so several hours south of us. And they're gonna be there this school year at a, uh, it's an unaccredited school that our denomination hosts called the Pastors College is to train up uh, people who are desiring to be elders or church planters or maybe even missionaries uh, in practical ways, theological ways. And so they're going to be moving there. You've got a new dog recently, you have a baby on the way, you're going to be a new apartment, all these sorts of things for one school year. And the hope and plan is for you guys to come back at the end of that school year, encouraged and hopefully confirmed in that ongoing work that we're wanting to do in North Manchester. So as you guys get ready to leave even tomorrow, I wanted to give a chance to share with us ways we could pray for you. Uh, as you get ready to move, new schooling, new arrangements, new friends, new church for a season to be part of there. Uh, and so if you could share with us, I mean, even if it's brief or if you have a lot to share, we'd love to pray for a lot of things for you too. But if you could tell us some ways we could pray for you, uh, we would appreciate that. And then we will actually do that before we sing a song together. Would that be all right? All right. Yeah, it'll definitely it. be brief. <clears throat> okay, that's fine. So yeah, as Claire and I talked about things that we would request prayer for, I mean, I mean, we wouldn't say no to any of your prayers that, you, that the Lord would bring to mind, but specifically thinking about that the Lord would give us joy in this transition because we're temporarily moving from a church that we love and friends that we love and a home that we love and just in a city that we love and a town that we love and moving to a new place, a new church, new people that we, we don't know yet, um, but we're trusting in God to provide all these things for us when we're there. Um, so yeah, more, most immediately, we'd ask that you'd pray for joy as we, as we move. We're very excited for this upcoming year of intense and pointed training with the aim of church planting. Um, but specifically, yeah, I'd say, I'd say pray for joy because today we, we're feeling a little bit mournful of, of losing this and losing people temporarily. Um, but yeah, so pray that God would give us great joy in this season. And then secondly, that while we're there, that, he would, that God would grow us in our love of him, that, that that would be our motivation to hopefully church plant, that it would be our motivation to study well, to train well, and to come back and to 
yeah, just to prepare well while we're there, that we would grow in our love of God. So yeah, mostly, most immediately, joy in transition, and secondly, love of God as we prepare for church planting. Those are the two main things. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we'd love to pray for those things. Um, so I'm going to invite you all actually to stand, because we're going to sing after I pray, so the worship team can come forward even uh, while we pray. But let's pray for those things for Adam and Claire, uh, and then love on them well before you leave today, because uh, they leave tomorrow. And they'll be back over Hopefully during the year sometimes to visit with us, but, uh, and some of us will go visit you. But we want to pray for you on this pivotal day uh, for the Lord's blessing. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll sing. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for my brother and sister. Uh, thank you even for the little one you've given life uh, to them. We pray uh, as you prepare them to go even tomorrow, we pray that you would be with them in very personal ways. We know you are, but we pray that you would impress that upon them, that they would feel that and know that even as they leave temporarily your people here, like Paul and Barnabas and John Mark no doubt had sadness in leaving Antioch. We pray that you would give them joy for what lays ahead of them, uh, both in the short term of the gain that we anticipate from their time at school and the investment that will be made in them, but also the joy long term of seeing a church established in a town and community that they love. And so we pray even today as there's much sadness in leaving, we pray that there would be joy in going and anticipating of what's to come. And so please implant that upon their hearts, revive that within their hearts and souls, even through our words that we get to share with them this morning before we go. Uh, we pray also uh, for uh, just an equipping, a, a rich equipping over this next year, that they would be invested in, in ways we anticipate and ways that we don't as they enter into being new parents and as they think about the future ahead, we pray that you would stretch them, grow them, that you would exhort them, that you would sharpen them, that you would, uh, that you would uh, give them a gladness in their task. And we pray that you would confirm what we sense, that we sense the Spirit uh, calling us to have them plant this church. We pray that you would confirm that through uh, the counsel of others who know and invest in them over these next months. And we pray that you give confirmation of that. And we pray that you would raise up a team to go. And we pray for those in North Manchester that you have already appointed to eternal life. We pray that they would come to believe even through the very witness of Adam and Claire and for members of this very church. So prepare their hearts even for the months and years ahead to hear that good news and to rejoice with us. We look forward to the day that we will hear reports of first converts in North Manchester through uh, the work of this team. And we pray that you give us hope-filled uh, faith uh, as we anticipate that, as we prepare for that. We pray that you'd be honored even in how we sing uh, and how we uh, worship you even in our conversation and our encouragement that we get to do as a church family before we depart today. So we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Y'all can head back down. Let's sing together.